rev it up and welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 2,481. Be prepared to be inspired. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Hello, inspiring automotive enthusiasts, and welcome to Cars Yeah. Today I'm in Kimball, Michigan, with a very special guest by the name of Ethan Gibson. Ethan, welcome to Cars Yeah. Do you have any gear, and are you ready to release the clutch? I am. Thanks for having me on. You're welcome. Good to have you here. We're going to have some fun talking about a very cool and new event. But before we begin, and I give a little bit of a bio background on you, what's one little thing that maybe people don't know about Ethan Gibson? You know, it's funny, being in PR, you would think everything about me would be out there, but there's a lot of things that people don't know. The one that always gets people are talking is um, during COVID, I was, like everyone else, kind of cooped up in the house, and I decided to start building a boat in my garage. So I have got it. Wow. It's a big boat, too. So that is something I've been working on, that unless unless you really know me or you're part of my friends or family, you would never know that my garage is essentially a... Uh, a boat right or a, a, what do you, what would you call it? A, a boat yard <laughs> right now. And it has been for three years and my wife is ready for that thing to get out of there. Well, I have to ask the question and I'm sure you've thought of this, but when I was a little kid in elementary school, there was a guy across the street whose dad was building a boat in his garage Yeah, and he got to the point where he was ready to take it out. And guess what? Didn't fit. Didn't get through the door. Yeah. <laughs> Literally yeah. had to tear the side of his garage off to move the boat out. So I'm hoping you thought of that. Yes, it's in the garage. It's uh it's got about two inches to spare on either side when I when I pull it out. So right. but yeah, I've already pulled it out once or twice to work on it. So good to go. Okay, good. Well, just want to make sure. Didn't want yeah. to see you that same that same kind of boat as they say. What kind of boat are you building? It's actually called a, a dory. It's a flat-bottomed kind of ocean-going boat for the Great Lakes. So, yeah, it's kind of unique. It's, like I said, 21 or 22 feet. It's about 8 foot wide. It's pretty big. So I, the whole point of it was to uh, to use it to kind of skim around the islands and in the Great Lakes. Nice. Well, when you take that out, send me some pictures. Yeah, I'd love I to will. see it. We'll send you a yeah. bottle of champagne to christen the bow. Might break the boat, but we'll, well, we'll give her a shot. <laughs> let's not do that, for sure. <laughs> well, let me introduce you here. Ethan Gibson is the director of the North American Communications Team at RM Sotheby's. You've heard many, many guests on the show from RM Sotheby's. They've been friends for a long time. He's been a lifelong automotive enthusiast with a very unique career path. At 22, he became a federal agent with the Department of Homeland Security. And after becoming a field agent, Ethan became assisting the agency in public relations at the local government level progressing through state and eventually onto national and international stages. He built communications teams from scratch, managing communications during national crisis, conducted congressional and presidential level briefings, and liaised with foreign heads of state. Very interesting. And after 13 years of service, Ethan transitioned to his passion, the automotive industry, where he found RM Sotheby's. In his role, he oversees their social media, earned media, and public relations efforts. And now for their new venue, Moda Events, including the inaugural Moda Miami event and RM Auctions, which is coming up at the end of this month. We'll take a short break, and, and uh, when we come back, we'll learn a lot more about Ethan. Moda Miami, RM Sotheby's, and a whole lot more. Sit tight, buckle up. We'll be right back. Are you ready to take charge of your financial future? 
then let me introduce you to Capitalize Your Finances. It's an online course designed to empower you with the knowledge and tools for mastering your money. This course will help you lay out the ins and outs of budgeting, the importance of emergency funds, investing strategies, and how to plan for a secure retirement. All this presented by financial planner Chris Paniotu. Chris has developed this course to help you effectively navigate your world of finance with confidence. Stop stressing about money and start taking control. Enroll in Capitalize Your Finance online course today and pave your way to financial success. To learn more, go to CapitalizePodcast.com slash courses or better yet, go to the Cars yeah website show notes page for today's show and click on the link under Capitalize Your Finances. You'll be glad you did. Do it today. Hey, guess what? Some of you regular listeners will remember back in 2019, I created uh, 10, 11 shows called Cars yeah TV, where I went to some fabulous locations of past Cars yeah guests and we did a TV show about it. Well, they're up on the Cars yeah YouTube channel. So go check it out at YouTube. Just type in Cars Yeah, and the shows will be there for you to enjoy. I hope you have fun watching. If you're listening to this program, there's a pretty good chance you believe what I believe, that the collector vehicles we love are more than just a means of getting from one place to the other. They're a part of our culture, our identity, and as a people, they bring us together at vintage races, classic car auctions, and thousand-mile rallies. That's why I support the RPM Foundation, which exists to ensure that the critical skills necessary to preserve and restore these important vehicles aren't lost to time. RPM stands for Restoration, Preservation, and Mentorship. And their goal is to inspire the next generation of vehicle restoration professionals through its outreach programs. And they include Shop Hop, Off to the Races, the RPM Future Class, and many others. These programs engage talented young people across the country and connect them with mentors and a variety of opportunities in the industry. For more information on how the RPM Foundation is driving the future of collector vehicles skill trade, visit rpm.foundation today. So Ethan, this career path is quite interesting to me. And before we get into uh, RM Auctions, RM Sotheby's, uh, Moda, Moda Miami, which is a very cool upcoming event, I've got to ask the question, when you were younger, what got you into uh, Homeland Security? What brought you into that career path? And then after so much time there, you transitioned and got back into your passion. But let's talk about why. So I, I always knew I was going to join the military or I wanted to become an off, a police officer. I uh, studied criminal justice in schools. My brother was a cop. A couple of my buddies were police officers by then. So that was kind of like what I thought I wanted to do. And yeah, I started pursuing it. And, you know, I didn't know how difficult it was to become a federal agent, especially within like the Department of Homeland Security. You know, after I was in for a while, you realize, wow, 1% of applicants end up, you know, becoming agents for a multitude of reasons. Right. So, but I was young and unaware. So I just, I thought I breezed through the process. And next thing you know, I'm at boot camp and going through it. Yeah, it was, it was a great job. It was, a, you know, pulled me away from Michigan, but I'm kind of blessed because I, I, w- I was doing a job that I thought was great at the time. And they also started asking about, you know, Hey, we have to have a, a tour of the station. We have to do a tour with um, some locals, you know, like the, uh, the local 4-H club wants to come and inspect the station, you know, so anybody want to volunteer to, to host a tour? And I was young and I was like, yeah, I'll do it. I like talking to people. 
So started doing that. And then, um, you know, after a while, I enjoyed it, found out I was good at it. And then I was like, hey, there's a there's a, a, an event, you know, at um, like, say, on the on the state level. And we would like you to speak about what agents do every day, you know, and inform the public, you know, what their tax dollars are going towards. So I started doing that. And then eventually they said, hey, you should be in public relations full time. So I got out of the field, thankfully, was able to go to D.C., and they put me through like, you know, the government's public relations courses. And, you know, I got to work a nine to five for the first time in years. So when you're on the field or in the field, it's midnights, it's this, it's that, it's crazy hours. Um, no, no weekends, no holidays off. And then all of a sudden I'm in government PR and it's like, oh man, Monday through Friday. <laughs> or like normal job. I can have a life outside of work. Yeah, exactly. So I had a young family at the time, like young girls that I, we just had and, um, it worked out great. So like, yeah, it's, it's kind of a, it sounds weird. Like this is a weird transition, but if you hear the whole story, you're like, okay, that kind of makes sense. Right. But yeah, that's kind of the short version. There's a lot of things that happened in between. I'll bet. No doubt. And working in that field and thank you by the way, for your service. Cause anybody that works for is, I guess somewhat a lot like a first responder, but you're out there protecting our world. Those of us who take uh, the safety we have for granted, which sometimes we don't when things go awry, but most of the time I think we do. We just don't think nothing, we don't think anything bad can happen to us, but there's a lot going on in the background that probably we don't want to even know about because it would be be, oh, too, be too frightening. But this transition you made was a big, bold step because anytime you start something young and you do it for over a dozen years and then you make this big move, that's that's got to be a little scary. What was the inspiration to make that transition? You know, like the, the scariest part was like, hey, I'm a, the, the government's a very stable job, right? Um, great retirement. And if you're in law enforcement, the retirement's even better. And I was, you know, already 13, 14 years into it or so. And I'm like, man, I could retire in six years. So that was the biggest thing that I knew I was walking away from. Even though I was in PR, I still wore my law enforcement hat sometimes, right? There would be days where I would be doing PR things for six months. And then all of a sudden it's like, hey, we have to go kick down a door and there's going to be some real bad people in it, right? So as you get older, those things become less and less fun. And I was just kind of burned out. I got hurt a couple of times and, you know, lingering injuries. And I was like, you know what? I just made the call that I don't want to have to worry about going back to the field. I enjoy PR a lot. I enjoy cars a lot, right? I've had cars my whole life, fun cars. And my wife and I just talked about it and I was like, you know what, we're going to do it, but it's only going to be for the right position. Like, I'm not going to go take a PR gig and um, for, let's say, I don't know, something in the automotive that wasn't what I really thought would be, you know, fun or special. And I'm at work one day and my wife texts me. She's like, hey, uh, would you work for RM Sotheby's? And I'm like, of course I would. <laughs> yeah. Of course I'd work for RM Sotheby's. She's like, I swear I just saw this job listing come up. And it's, you know, it's for director of communications for RM Sotheby's and it's based out of Detroit. What? <laughs> Went home, applied and um, it was like, you know, one in a million. I didn't know anyone at RM. I, I wasn't like, you know, I didn't a, a friend of a friend. It was a complete, completely, a completely an outsider. Yeah. And I applied and didn't hear anything for months. And I thought that ship had sailed. And one day uh, I get a call. Hey, would you like to interview? I'm like, of course I would. Then I do another interview. And then before you know it, you know, one day I'm at work again. And uh, my wife's like, you need to check your email right now. <laughs> there it was, job offer from RM Sotheby's. And uh, I have not looked back once. I mean, 
all my friends text me like, Hey, do you miss being in the field? Do you miss being an agent? I'm like, no, <laughs> not, yeah. not enough, man. I did it. I did all the fun stuff. I did the crazy stuff. I am happy to talk about Lamborghinis and Ferraris with kids and, you know, and, and people at these shows now. So it's awesome. Well, this is a very good story and very bold move, of course. But obviously when you have children, that changes your perspective on things, your safety. You need to be around for those kids as they grow yeah. up and for your spouse, yeah. of course. But I, I really find it fun and fascinating that you found something in your field of passion because that's what this podcast is all about. When I started this, it was all about sharing these kinds of stories. Let me ask you this. As you got into this new PR world, what were some of the differences from your old PR world? I can only imagine there were a whole lot of them. You know, it's funny. It's like there's always a little bit of like the imposter syndrome, right? Like I've been doing government PR for so long and then you get hired in, like, into a new position. And this happens like with everyone on every level, right? And I get hired at RM Sotheby's and in the back of my head, you're like, what am I doing here? Am I qualified for this? Is this, is this the same? And then like within the first couple months, I'm like, wow, I was so thankful at what the government taught me, right? Because PR is PR, journalists are journalists, you know? Um, telling stories is telling stories. And I was like, I am very qualified for this. And I, that's, I started to believe that because I was. And I started to really enjoy it. And like I said, I'm always thankful for the skills I learned in the government because I didn't know how how important it was at the time, right? Um, I didn't. I never expected the government to give me a skill set outside of law enforcement that I could actually use for a whole nother career, right? So yeah, so it's very similar in a lot of ways, you know? Um, it's easier in a lot of ways too, in the sense that journalists in the automotive field aren't out to get me, right? They're not, they're not looking for the juicy bit. They're not looking to catch you talking about, you know, something that political, right? That you shouldn't have an answer on or a comment on. So I found that really relieving. Like when I talk to journalists, it's like, I'm talking about cars. I'm talking about Lewis Hamilton winning a race. You know, I'm talking about this and that. I'm not talking about foreign policy. I'm not talking about the state of the border. I'm not talking about, you know, things that are, you really have to be careful, right? In that aspect, it's it's been a, a huge relief to really be able to in, do PR and enjoy it, right? It's not, uh, I'm not putting out press releases about stuff that affects, you know, people's lives, right? It's like when I put out a press release, when I'm working on stuff, sometimes I'm like, man, I just worked for six hours on this, but I'm like, I'm literally talking about Fernando Alonso's car that we're selling. And how cool is that, right? Or, uh, Oh, I have to go work long hours today. What am I doing? I'm going to go meet with the owner of a 250 GTO and we're going to figure out how we're going to market this thing, right? So it's pretty cool. It's definitely, I would argue, or I would always suggest if you want to be in PR, yeah, private is more fun, but the experience that you get working for the government is, is top notch. Oh, absolutely. I have friends, many friends who've gone from careers. Uh, one one friend was a childhood friend that went in to become a ring pilot and worked, oh, wow. he flew for eight years and he had to get out because he, he had to eject over the water and kind of messed up his back when it happened. Uh, was yeah. flying low level around some islands in the Philippines and a flock of birds blew up his oh. engines and had to punch out. And after that, I was like, what am I going to do? You know, I thought I was going to be a pilot my whole life. And all right. of a sudden he realized all those all those things that you learn in the military, discipline, exactly. achievements, working really hard, all that professionalism that just kind of comes as kind of ether in the air is really valuable in the marketplace. And I think even today, even more so because the ethics and morals, especially in your position, Homeland Security, and in the case of my friend, I mean, he was nuke qualified. Yeah. So, you know, that's pretty darn serious. So yeah. would you say that that were there any challenges with with this transition or once you kind of settled in, was it, oh, I see how this is working? Um, 
No, not I wouldn't say challenges. Like I said, early on when I came on, I, I realized that like, okay, yeah, this PR stuff in the private sector is similar. So I felt good about that. Um, but you know, like anything else, I I'm, I wasn't in the car space before that. And to jump in at RM Sotheby's and to be leading the team right off the bat, that was a, you know, I think RM took a risk on me and I took a risk on RM is what I kind of think. Uh-huh. And it worked out, right? They were like, hey, and I, I'm not speaking for... Uh, you know, HR when they hired me, but like um, when you get asked those questions, like, you know, can you lead a team or how do you work under pressure? And I was like, it, it, <laughs> are you kidding me? We kick in doors. <laughs> yeah. So like people like in the military, like you do have those like life experiences that allow you to to know, like, oh, I've definitely led teams. I've definitely led teams in extremely high stress situations. So leading is leading, right? Just like, like I said, PR is PR. Like if you can lead people, you can be an effective leader in the military, the the government, like you can definitely transition into the private sector and, and take those skills and and uh, and do well. You know, the biggest challenge was really getting into the private sector. Right. I, I did apply at a couple places and I, I didn't know if I was going to, you know, wh- where I was going to land. So once I started talking to RM, it was everything else I didn't care about. I'm like, I'm, I'm not replying to anyone else. This is my sole focus. I'm going to make sure that, you know, I get in with RM and it worked out well. Well, neat place to land, and RM has been around forever, and their evolution and what they've done in the automotive industry, especially in the auction world, obviously, are related to Sotheby's, is tremendous. Very high achievers, high-end thought process. The best of the best is what I think of when I hear the word RM, the words RM Sotheby's. Let's talk a little bit about this upcoming event, because most of us who are in the car world have been to your auctions. We know of the auctions as a certain thing, and we know they're surrounded by events like Concours events and, and yeah. maybe some parties and things. But what's happening coming up here February 29th through March 3rd is a new venture called Moda Miami. And I've had some of your colleagues on the show a couple of weeks ago where we talked about this a little bit, but I'd love your perspective being in PR because yeah. I would assume as this was put onto your plate saying, we're going to do something a little different here, Ethan. Yeah. You've got to promote this and make this really popular. So tell me your perspective of what is Moda Miami? Why did you guys decide to go down this venue? Yeah, so Moda Miami is... We don't like saying Concord because we're trying to, to do something different, right? But at the end of the day, it, it is a Concord of sorts, right? Some of the biggest differences are like how we judge the classes. I think the team really, and, and when I say the team, I mean from the top to the bottom, from Rob, you know, and Gord, all of the executives at the company, there's like cycles, I think, in sales. Like there's there's sales that we used to do. There's events that we used to do. And I think after we left Amelia, there wasn't a strong desire to go back. We saw the potential in Miami. We we hosted a sale down there in 22 at this like rooftop parking garage. Right. And, and yep. The vibe, the atmosphere, the sell, the sale went great. And I think people started realizing, hey, like RM Sotheby's or auctions are, are events in themselves, really, right? They don't have to be tied to a concours or to a race. Like they are standalone events that can do really well. So we've really started increasing our pop-up sales is what we're calling them. And Rob decided, you know what? We've got the momentum. We've got the passion. We've got the right people on the team. Let's just go for Miami. And he made the decision. And next thing we know, we're planning 12 months out. From the very beginning, we knew we wanted it to be special. We knew we wanted it to be different. It truly is shaping up that way. There's from the Casa Tua VIP, you know, areas, the hospitality to Mario Carbone and his team hosting a dinner to having a hundred supercars roll onto the lawn at once. It's very dynamic. It's not just coming onto a show field and, and seeing cars. 
there's something for everyone, right? Like during the event, there's multiple smaller events going on that maybe if you're not into cars. Oh, can you hear my dog? <laughs> hey, dogs are cool here on cars. Yeah, we love dogs. Don't worry about it. If you're not into cars, there's still something for everyone. And it's going to be a really special weekend. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. What's exciting to me is there's I, I look at this as like a happening yeah. You know, events, yeah, but like you say, when I I've been to many many concord events that have some tent somewhere sitting out in a field, yeah, and that's where the auction is, and you walk over there and it's nice and fun, and you might do some things in the evening, but you don't think of it as the main event. To me, Moda, even the term, and I know you guys are planning future Moda events, which is a very cool deal. Yeah. It gives a different concept and vibe and an entirely different feeling. And I would assume that what's going to happen here is you're going to attract some people that don't typically go to Concours events. Yeah. And specifically partners or spouses that maybe aren't as interested, but they'll go, well, wait, there's more to this than just, when I say just a Concours, I know they're huge and they're very important, but you, you've got layers. It's like, I, I, I was thinking about you guys this morning. It's, it's this beautiful cake. And there's all these layers with cream in between. And every time yeah. you, you take a bite and you cut deeper into it, there's a little bit more fun here with the night event, yeah. uh, the two days of auction. So I think it's cool. I love what you're doing. No, it is cool. And I, I think that, that's a perfect way to put it. Let's just say you have a friend who is not into cars whatsoever. Would they have fun at an evening gala among the cars, right? Like under the stars, having cocktail parties. Would they be into like the, this is how I described it, almost like a, like a Formula One suite level of hospitality, right? Right. Of course, you could take the cars out of the equation and it's still going to be like the place to be. Um, it's still going to be amazing. Then you add the cars, obviously, and it's just the, the whole experience is going to be, it's going to be great. It's going to be spectacular. And if you listeners, again, if you didn't hear my talks with some of uh, Ethan's colleagues, I had them on a few weeks ago, and they talked in depth about the different cars, the different events, and uh, go back and listen to those shows as well. But you can go to the website. We'll put links to it, but it's easy to find. Motor Miami or RM Sotheby's, uh, the best of the best auctions for sure. I want to talk a little bit about you and cars because... We learned about your past, but we do know that you've been into cars. Is there a special car story? And I know about a, a certain Lincoln. Yeah. I was talking to my wife about it last night because anyone who's been into cars their whole life, there's been so many cars and so many moments that I've had in these cars that I'll always remember, right? But um, my Lincoln Continental, I was 16 and I didn't have a car yet, right? I, I didn't grow up wealthy or anything. So getting a car at 16 was probably going to be a stretch, right? We were driving along some rural road. I could, I mean, I could tell you the exact road and I could still find the house if you wanted me to. Uh -huh. And I see a, uh, I didn't know it was a Continental cause I was like into cars, but I was so young that I didn't, you know, really know much other than I enjoyed them. Right. And we pull over and it says like 2,500 bucks and it's this big silver Continental with a burgundy top. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And that was, uh, it was a 77 on the window sticker. It said 460. And I, all I knew, I was like, that's a really big motor. So I thought that was cool as a 16 year old. And my mom somehow said, yeah, we'll take it and blew me away. So Whoa. at 16, yeah, got the car. And I really spent from like 16 to all of high school in that car with my friends driving all over Michigan, taking my, my, my girlfriend at the time, who is my wife now on our first dates 
in this Continental. So that solidified me being a car person. And it also solidified me being a Lincoln fan for life. So for you listeners, one thing I know about Ethan is he met his future wife when they were both 16 years old. So high school romance uh, became a lifelong relationship, which is cool. But I'm trying to uh, picture a 16 year old in a Lincoln Continental Mark V. That car goes on forever. It's it does. And I, I remember I thought it was cool. I didn't think anyone else would think it was cool. But I remember pulling up to, to gas stations and people 30, 40 years older than me were like, oh, nice car. No, man, I used to have one of those when I was a kid all the time. And people really thought the car was neat. And it was neat. It was in great shape. But yeah, it was awesome. I even ended up wrecking it. But oh, no. yeah, yeah. So it's in a scrapyard probably somewhere now. But I do have a 79 Continental now, so I had to get another. <laughs> okay. Well, I, I, that was leading me to a next question. You are in a very fortunate situation because you get to be around some of the most amazing cars on the planet. Yeah. I've got to ask, since you've been exposed to this now for a while, has there been a genre mark that you've kind of migrated to? Because for me, it's 1950s, 60s sports car, European sports cars that have always intrigued me. Is there a, a, a type of car based on all this knowledge you've learned and meeting all these people who have these cars, it kind of pulled you into a direction? As far as like what my personally, like what yeah, I've been, yeah. it's it's really hard for me to separate my like uh, obsession with Formula One from work. Oh, because, okay. <laughs> Race cars. Yeah. And to, that is always what has excited me before I worked for RM Sotheby's. And I find the more, you know, the more I do with RM, the more cars we offer, Nothing hits me like having a Schumacher F1 car in front of me compared to anything else. I, I, I appreciate them all, right? I, I love 250 GTOs as much as the next guy. But when you have uh, like the racing pedigree, the racing history, that's what really gets me going. And I, I find it's only like it's only increasing my interest and my passion for Formula One, if that makes sense. So uh, like for Moto, we've got Fangio's Silver Arrow from like 54 coming and to see that car. Man, like never in a million years did I think I would be, you know, near an F1 car like that or having a sale at an F1 race um, to seeing Fangio's car. So and I do think from a business side, I do think that Formula One cars are huge future collectibles. Like they're they're increasing in price. We sold Lewis Hamilton's first uh, race winning Mercedes. I think it was like 18 or 19 million. That price blew me away. Um, I followed I used to race vintage cars. I followed ra vintage race cars and I got to spend three days at the Ferrari Cliente program uh, with a Schumacher car. And that that sale price, it begs me to ask the question, who is the market that are buying these cars and driving these numbers up? So there's a specialist on our team that really opened my eyes when, when you're trying to describe why is a why is a, a Ferrari, like a, a Schumacher car, or any Formula One car important? Why is the Silver Arrow, like a Lewis Hamilton Silver Arrow, important? It's like, well, look at the most expensive cars in the world now. They're all racing cars. Fangio, Silver Arrow, the $135 million. Mercedes. <laughs> sold. 250 GTOs, right? Like, these are all cars that competed in racing and Le Mans and, and all of those things. And for a while there, Formula One cars were like living room decorations, right? Like, you you couldn't sell them for millions of dollars. But if you look at production numbers, hey, there's only, what is it, 33 GTOs made or something like that? Well, there's only one 2008 Ferrari Formula One car, right? There, If you, if you want to talk rare, I mean, it's rare. It has a racing pedigree. It's got the, a, an iconic brand behind it. And then you take something like Lewis Hamilton's 
first race winning car. I, I can't even imagine what that car will be worth in 50 years. We'll be talking about it like I'm talking about Fangio's car now. So I think the people that are buying these GTOs and and you know 10 20 million dollar cars are starting to see the value in these old race cars. And I don't when I old I mean, you know, still recent but 90s race cars, 2000s race cars. It will be interesting to see what happens when the cars of today are being sold because they're so, you know, technologically advanced like I don't even know if you could start one without a whole team, right? So yeah, I think I think people are just realizing their value and and lumping in the lumping the Formula One cars in with uh, the other greats, right? Like uh, when we sold that Mercedes Silver Arrow, it's not a stretch to say it's of the same lineage of you know Fangio's, right? That's Mercedes Silver Arrows and championship cars, and they look completely different. They're fifty years apart, but they're you know to me no less important if that makes sense. Well, of course. So you've got all the things in fine art that create value exclusivity yep. famous names attached whether it's an artist Fabergé creating yeah. eggs or Lalique Crystal or an artist Rembrandt name one Andy Warhol and then you combine that exclusivity very limited numbers if just one perhaps yeah and that's why you'll see a group of race cars that were run and a few of those are really high Lewis Hamilton yeah he's pretty famous Michael Schumacher of course yep. others so yeah, it, it kind of fits the mold, I think, uh, of all of those. It's just amazing to me the numbers and the money that's being thrown around. But again, people with that wealth need a place to park. Excuse the pun, but need a place to park. And if you're into cars, why not have one of those cars in your collection? Yeah, I mean, cars at that level, you know, they perform really well. I, I'm not a a financial guy. I couldn't tell you, you know, deep dives onto the market. But, you know, we do know that the, the highest end of cars they may dip here and there, but the trajectory is always on its way up. Absolutely. So I'm going to crawl into your head a little bit here, Ethan. I like yeah. to play car psychologist. If you were reincarnated yeah. as a vehicle, what would you be and why? Yeah. So uh, first off, an American car. It would definitely be an American car. And I say that not just because I'm into American cars, but I'm aware of, you know, how lucky and blessed we are to, to live here. And absolutely, just by chance, we, you know, I was born here and, uh, and yeah, so I'm, I'm, um, I'm very proud to be from Michigan too, right? Um, the heart of car world. Yep. So Detroit, Motor City. So it has to be something American. I love sedans, and I'm a bigger guy myself, so it has to be a sedan. So that that narrows it down, you know, to only a few things. I always used to say it has to be rear-wheel drive as well, just because you know I like a little bit of fun. But I am a creative person. I I like to think outside of the box. So if I had to make the ultimate car, that would be a representation of me. I'm thinking a Crown Victoria with a Hellcat engine. A swap. Oh. <laughs> All right. I like yeah. it. That makes Practical, sense. Fast American. Yep. I like it. That makes sense to me too. You know, we love books here and I'm wondering if there's a book you might share with our listeners that you found to be very valuable. Yeah. You know, I, I won't say the book or the, the author because he's a little bit divisive. And if you're under 18, you know, he uses language that's, you know, he's a military guy, so a little harsh, but um, there's this Navy SEAL out there who does kind of like inspirational stuff and he has written a lot of books and essentially his whole message in all of his books is essentially like thriving when you're doing something you don't like to do by essentially getting off the couch when you want to sit down and stopping your run early because you're tired. He says like you can really armor your mind and, 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 and use that like mental strength, you know, in every aspect of your life. So I've been reading a lot of his books and um, yeah, it's, it's pretty cool. Dare I guess Jocko Wilnick? No, uh, Goggins, David Goggins. Oh, Goggins, of course. Yeah. Well, I I think he's a great read for anybody almost at any age. Yeah, maybe for younger folks. But uh, 
I just, yeah, I wouldn't want my daughters to listen to the way he talks, even though uh, <laughs> the, what he says is is deep and it does make sense and it can change someone's life. I've been reading his stuff lately and it's just really, uh, it's, I mean, he's obviously like an extreme example of that. Yeah, it's, it's pretty good stuff. Great. Oh, it's really great stuff. I think it's uh, absolutely uh, important. And yeah. uh, many people have recommended that book. So uh, I'll put uh, a note of that with a little asterisk. Uh, watch the language on the side. But I appreciate that you're concerned about that. That's why I like to keep this show clean as well. Yeah. Because there are many of my listeners who uh, are on drives with their kids right now going to school. listening. To yeah. The show. Yeah. So, and I don't want them Googling David Goggins when, you know, their parents are in their car and the dad's like, what are you listening to? I understand. No worries. So let's go on the ultimate drive here. I'm going to enable you to go on the ultimate drive. You know this question very well. Uh, what car am I going to put you in? Where are you going? And who are you going to be with? Not to uh, beat a dead horse here, but I, I thought about this one quite a bit. And it's hard not to get nostalgic, you know, and I'm sure a lot of your listeners probably have nostalgic answers when it comes to this. I wouldn't mind being back, you know, 17 again in that continental in rural Michigan sometime, you know. I'd probably talk to myself and try to impart some of the wisdom of the last 25 years because I was kind of a knucklehead when I was a kid. But I think I'd have to be uh, in that car with my friends, you know, and like I said, blessed to be able to say my wife as well. Like our whole friend group revolved around that car. So it was you know, this is a great thing about cars I've learned after speaking with so many people is they really are catalysts to bring us all together. And yeah. when you think about people in your age bracket or I'm much older than you, my age bracket, when I think back to cars, yeah, the car is cool, but it's more about the experiences in that car. Oh. I was thinking about my high school car, which was a Carmagia. Yeah. And trips I used to take in that car. And I used to think, gosh, I'd get in that old car and drive, you know, nine hours to Mammoth Mountain. Yeah. In, in the snow with no chains. You know? Yeah. yeah same. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. Oh, how crazy was I? But it's just those adventures, the fun and uh, learning about checking your spare tire, coming back from one of those trips and having a blowout on a grade and almost going off the edge of a cliff. And then like, how do I get a tire fixed? I don't have a cell phone. They didn't exist in 1974, you know? Yeah. So. No, I, yeah. I remember, you know, my alternator going out, blowing tires in that thing, you know, and it, Got like eight miles to the gallon. So Ooh, ouch. friends and I couldn't go too far, you know, on our, our subway salaries. Yeah. Yeah. Great time though. Yeah, for sure. So before I let you go today, I wondered if you could share some parting words of wisdom or inspiration with our listeners. No, you know, I, I, I think I have a, a kind of a unique story. You do. And yeah, I, what I always tell people is like, if you're, um, people don't do things cause they're afraid to fail, you know, and it, and that could mean like, painting something for the first time, like a, you know, on a canvas to not applying for a job because you think you're not going to get hired. Right. Um, and what, you know, the worst thing that happens is, is you fail and you do it again. So like, um, I would just encourage anyone, you know, kiddos, anyone looking to transition to a career or, you know, heck, if you want to work at RM Sotheby's, like apply, you know, like, so just try and don't be afraid to fail because it's not it's nothing, right? Right. It's a learning lesson. Absolutely. Yeah. An important learning lesson, too. I had a guest on my show that she said every New Year's Eve, my New Year's Eve resolution for the new year is to fail 100 times in the yeah. new year. And I said, what does that mean to you? And she said, it means I tried 100 things I'd never done before. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, if, if I succeeded a few of those, success. Yeah, my house is full of hobbies that I have tried and didn't like, you know, or and moved on. But, you know, out of that, like I found woodworking, I found painting, you know, I found other like serious hobbies that are a big part of my life now because I one day decided to glue a two by four together. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. It, 
Anyways. Important to do, for sure. How can people learn more about RM Sotheby's and Amoda Miami, which is coming up very soon? So for you listeners that live in the uh, Miami uh, Coral Gables area, um, you should attend. But I think you should get on a plane and go to this event because I agree. it is going to be awesome. But how can people learn more about it, Ethan? Yeah, RM Sotheby's, rmsotheby's.com. And then, you know, our handles are at RM Sotheby's on, on everything, LinkedIn, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, you name it. As far as Moda, it's Moda Events underscore official on our social channels, Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook. Uh, the website is modamiami.com, and that'll show you everything that we're doing, everything that we're offering. And then, yeah, me personally, uh, I'm on LinkedIn. So if you want to reach out, shoot me a, a message. There you go. Listeners, this is going to be a spectacular event, something new, something very daring and different. No doubt it's attached to RM Sotheby's, so it's going to be a success. I want to do a shout out to uh, Kate Clendenning. She's the one who got me together with Ethan today. She also got me together with past guests that have been on the show that are related to this event. So go back and listen to those if you missed them. So Kate, thanks for another winner here today. And Ethan, Ethan, thank you for being so generous today with your time and expertise. I'm so glad that you made this transition into what you're doing. No doubt you are having fun. You're going to be the envy of many listeners today. Until you and I talk again, my friend, I'll see you at Moda Miami. See you there. We'll have fun for sure. For several years now, you've heard me talk about Linkage Magazine. I've been a subscriber since the start. They're talented and creative team brings you a spectacular publication and website that shares the automotive passion from a worldwide perspective. Linkage is about driving, restoring, collecting, and first-hand experience at collector car auctions and more. They bring you real-world values plus rational, experienced opinions on the current markets. They cover the automotive world and the people who share our passions. And Linkage Magazine has grown, mailing you six issues annually. Join me on this journey with Linkage. They're geared for the automotive life. You can subscribe at LinkageMag.com. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah!